Good morning, church. Yes. That's what I'm talking about on the volume, guys. Keep it about right there. God bless each and every one of you. I'm so thankful that you could be here with us. Like Jeremy said, a lot of our church family are traveling back from a women's retreat. Ladies, if you're tuned in, be careful driving. And for all of you other individuals watching online, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. We're starting a new series entitled, In God We Trust. We're just a few short weeks away from electing the next president of the United States of America. And this is a time when we individuals in the church need to be doing as much as we can to pray for our nation and to trust in God for what only he can do in the United States of America. I want to make a case this morning as we get started that the United States has long been a nation that has trusted in God. In 1864, Salmon Chase acted on a proposal made by a reverend who wanted to acknowledge God on the currency of the United States. Reverend M.R. Watkinson petitioned Secretary Chase and said, I ask that we reference Almighty God in some form in our coins in order to relieve us from the ignominy of heathenism. In other words, acknowledging God on our currency might help us be less heathen than we already are. Legislation was passed in 1864 to begin exploring different designs that could be put on the coins in the United States. Later in 1959, President Eisenhower passed legislation declaring, In God We Trust, to be the national motto of the United States. In 2003, a poll conducted by USA Today, CNN, and Gallup found that 90% of Americans still support the inscription, In God We Trust, on U.S. currency. But not only does the United States honor God on our currency, presidents throughout the years have indicated the significance and importance of the Bible and the God of the Bible in American society. Calvin Coolidge said this, The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. In other words, he's saying the way of life in the United States of America is so heavily based on Scripture that America's way of life would change if individuals in our nation would stop believing in the truths taught in the Bible. A number of years later, Ronald Reagan would summarize it by saying this, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. America, however, is not mentioned in the scriptures. There is a nation that is mentioned very frequently. That is the nation of Israel. And if you turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 34, you would see that the Bible clearly indicates that Israel trusts in God. The Bible says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people found the Lord, feared the Lord, and put their trust in him 
and in Moses, his servant. I put Israel trusted past tense here because the Bible records the history of the Israelites. This verse would be past tense. But if you read the scriptures, what you find is that the nation of Israel is blessed when they've demonstrated that they fully trust in God. And when the nation of Israel drifts away from the teachings and the truths of the scriptures and stops trusting in God, they experience a season of difficulty and trial. Now, as I'm making a case that the United States is a nation that trusts in God, some of you are like, wait a second, Trent. There are things happening in the United States that makes me feel like we're not a nation that trusts in God as much as you're making it out to be. To that, I would say there's a difference between trusting in the Lord and trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. It's one thing to just arbitrarily say, yes, I trust in the Lord. It's a qualitatively different thing to say, I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. If you got your Bibles, let's turn to our text now this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. We're building our whole series out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The book of Proverbs is written by a man named Solomon. Solomon was a son of King David, who was the king after the first king of Israel is established, King Solomon. King Saul, excuse me. Solomon prays for wisdom, and because of his prayer for wisdom, God grants him the wisdom he prayed for and makes him wise. So Solomon wrote the Proverbs in hopes of helping other individuals come to that same type of wisdom he had experienced through God. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. I want to focus on the first part of that verse this morning. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lots of us understand the idea of trust, but it gets difficult to really figure out what trust means in a practical way. What does it practically mean to trust another individual? Well, there are Olympic games played by individuals who have disabilities. They're called the Paralympic Games. The winter version of the Paralympic Games features a downhill alpine slalom skiing event. This is where individuals in the Paralympic Games ski down the side of a mountain through a slalom course. Individuals who participate in the downhill alpine slalom ski course in the Paralympic Games are either blind or nearly blind. And they can ski down the side of a mountain, reaching speeds at up to 65 miles an hour. And these individuals are blind or nearly blind. So the next natural question you've got to be asking is, how does an individual survive an event like that if they can't see. So these uh, Paralympic skiers are paired with a ski guide. And the ski guide skis the same course at the same time the Paralympic skier skis the course. The guide just skis out in front of the skier. And the guides are connected via headset to a radio that's also connected to the Paralympic athletes. And while they're going down the course, the ski guide is telling 
the Paralympic athlete who's nearly blind what to do as the Paralympic athlete is skiing down the side of a mountain at speeds reaching up to 65 miles an hour. What these Paralympic athletes say is that it takes a significant amount of time for them to build up enough trust of their guide to give themselves permission to ski at that speed. In other words, they just don't get a call from a guy who says, hey, I think I'd be a good guide. Would you like me to help you on your event down the mountain? And these guys just say, yeah, and they hit the ground running, reaching speeds of 65 miles an hour. It takes years and years and years of practice and repetition for these Paralympic athletes to trust their guide to the point that they can follow them down a mountain that they can't see. That's the idea of trust that the scriptures are talking about right here. Let me translate this for you to help you understand it. I don't want to see a show of hands, although I think it'd be really funny if we did. How many of you would put a blindfold on and trust your spouse to guide you down the side of a mountain at 65 miles an hour through a course you cannot see, right? So some of us would, okay? Those of you that would are probably borderline clinically insane, all right? Most of us wouldn't, but it changes, the, it changes the discussion when we actually practically think about trusting another individual enough to ski 65 miles per hour down the side of a mountain when I can't see. If you were to look up a dictionary definition of the word trust, trust is confidence in the reliability or the ability of another individual. Trust is confidence in the reliability or the ability of another individual. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we ready to trust God with our lives the same way these Paralympic skiers trust their ski guides? And the answer to that question kind of brings up another question of, is God reliable and able to help us? The scriptures talk about this at length. Two verses that I want you to write down that are not going to appear on the screen The first is Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45. In Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45, the Bible says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Listen to this, church. Every one came to pass. The other section of Scripture that really helps inform us as to whether or not we can trust God is 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. The Bible says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promises which he promised through Moses his servant. Our God is a trustworthy God. But in our lives there are things that compete against God for our trust. Let me give you an example. My wife and I moved down to northeast Louisiana about six years ago, and we had no idea where we were going. So we used the GPS device on our phone to get us everywhere we went. In the United States of America, that works perfectly. But if you live in Australia, it won't work as good. Because the continent of Australia is actually moving to the northeast at a rate of about two and a half inches Per year. About 20 years ago, GPS satellites were introduced to the world, 
and the country of Australia programmed their coordinates into those GPS satellites and left them alone. And now 20 years later, all GPS satellites calculate where you're at in Australia in an inexact place of about six feet of difference. Well, if you're trying to get somewhere in the continent of Australia, you could still probably fumble through your GPS and make it work. But worldwide, we're moving to a place where we're using cars that can drive themselves. That's the technology that's coming out. If that's the technology that people are operating on based on the GPS satellite system's functioning capacity in Australia, that six feet of difference puts you into oncoming traffic, right? Farm equipment's also starting to use GPS satellite system to help keep them in the line with where they should be. Six feet of difference may put you plowing a few rows in your neighbor's field or running a hole through your barn if you're not paying attention to what you're doing. Some of us put trust in things like GPS coordinate systems without even a second thought. And often, and this is not a statement of rebellion or anarchy or an anti-government idea, but lots of us trust the government for things that we really should only trust God for. Which is one of the reasons why the current political situation in the United States invokes fear in so many individuals. Because we're looking for government to serve functions only God can serve in our lives. Or some of us trust religion as readily as we'll trust a faulty GPS coordinate system. We assume that where we attend church or how we practice church gathering is the thing that's going to save us. And the thing that's going to save us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us trust in our own selves when instead we should trust God. We trust in our own reliability and in our own ability when time and time again we've failed even our own selves. So what's the principle then? Not just to simply arbitrarily say, I trust God. The principle is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There is no place for half-hearted devotion to God in the lives of of Christians. The scriptures also talk a lot about this idea of full-heartedly committing yourself to the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. The Bible says you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Matthew chapter 22 when our Lord Jesus himself is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Apostle Paul talks about this idea in a number of different places. One of those areas is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. In our physiological lives, the heart is the centerpiece of our existence. And in the same way, the heart is the centerpiece for your physical existence. Trust in the Lord should be the centerpiece of everything you do in life. That is the beginning of all wisdom. And sometimes the wisdom of God simply doesn't make sense according to the world's standards. 
I remember a story I heard a while ago about an individual who felt the Lord lead them into a job change. What was ironic about this specific job change is that it was into a field that this individual had no experience in at all. And to complicate matters even further, the area of the world where this individual lived didn't have any economic need for this particular area of expertise. But this man who had three sons trusts God anyway, and he ends up changing the world. You would, you would know this guy as Noah from the book of Genesis. Another young man with a speech impediment is put in a position to run for political office. He decides that God's calling him to go against the political system of his day. This ends up putting the young man in a position of leadership despite his, his speech impediment. The leadership position required him to speak to large audiences on a consistent basis. And he trusted God anyway. You know this man's name is Moses. I'm reminded of another story of a young lady who was impregnated out of wedlock. To make matters worse, this young lady was from a really small town where everybody would have known everybody. Not only was the town small, the town was ultra-conservative. This lady would have been ridiculed and slandered in her community. She would have been looked down upon as an outcast. And to make matters worse, she was young. So she would have had lots of questions about her pregnancy that likely couldn't have been answered because of the social stigma surrounding how this pregnancy occurred. But the young lady decides to be faithful to God anyway. You know her name as Mary. She gave birth to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes trusting in the Lord wholeheartedly calls us to act in ways that don't really make sense to the rest of the world. It's interesting, after I kind of prepped that portion of this sermon about Mary deciding to follow through with her pregnancy, I read a New York Times article that was published last Friday. The title of the article, I hope you're listening this morning, is Late-Term Abortion Was the Right Choice for Me. The lady who wrote the article indicates that she was pregnant with a child, doctor said, had a significant heart defect. In fact, the heart defect was so severe that the medical community was telling this lady likely the child wouldn't live past a few months and that if the child did, in fact, live past a few months, it would require surgery after surgery after surgery and the child likely wouldn't survive past a few years. I'll read you some excerpts from this article this morning. The writer says, For my husband and I, the decision was about compassion. Our unborn baby would face overwhelming and horribly painful obstacles. It was also about compassion for our two-year-old son who would contend with hours upon hours in a hospital, missing out on invaluable time spent with his parents and the death of a very real sibling. It was about compassion for our marriage. Perhaps most important, it was about our belief 
that parenthood sometimes means we sacrifice our own dreams so our children don't have to suffer. Going on, she says, I'm fortunate to live in a state that allows abortions after 20 weeks. Mine was at 21. At least 13 states restrict such procedures. She concludes the article by saying, as the two-year anniversary of my abortion approaches, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that we made the right decision for our family and that our government has absolutely no place in the anguish which accompanies a late-term abortion. A friend of my mother-in-law said to me early on, you will always carry this loss, but someday it won't define you. Saying goodbye to our son was the single most difficult and profound experience of my life And the truth is, it has come to define me. The first thing I want to do in response to this is ask you to join me in praying for this young lady. We should be moved with compassion when we hear the very real life struggles of people who are battling with impossible situations. But the second thing I'm moved to say is that there's an illusion in life. And the illusion is that there's an easy way out of impossible situations. As far as the human mind can imagine, there is no solution to this issue. And one could argue that the mother makes a case for the decision that she made. But friends, this is the exact issue with the current situation in the United States. It's tempting for us all to switch into our rational mind and to say, you know what, I guess she's got a point. But the Scriptures say no. The Scriptures say stand. The Scriptures say trust God in the middle of impossible situations. And don't just trust Him a little bit, but fully surrender everything to God. Wholeheartedly trust in the Lord. And let the God of the universe take a situation that seems impossible and create a solution that's probable. We serve a God through whom we can do all things. Do you believe that this morning? We serve a God through whom nothing is impossible. But the temptation is to justify and rationalize sinful decisions in a way that makes sense to me without considering the sovereignty and the power of a mighty God. And that's what we've lost in the United States of America, if I could be so bold. We have lost respect for the power and majesty of our sovereign Lord who is over and above even the most seemingly impossible situations that you and I face in life. And man's solutions for the problems in life will never usurp God's actual resolutions to those same problems. In America, we need to wise up. And by that I mean trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And if we'll become wise, then some of the difficult political questions 
we're all trying to answer over the next couple of weeks will take care of themselves. I don't know what impossible situation you're facing in your life today. But I know the temptation is the same as the temptation in this dear young lady who wrote this article. It's to find a path of least resistance, one that makes the most intellectual sense to you at any given moment in time, and then you just start making decisions. But I challenge you this morning to really put your trust and wholehearted devotion to God and let Him walk with you through whatever impossibility you face. That is the beginning of wisdom. I'm going to conclude in prayer after I pray. Please join me in standing and singing as those who have need come forward this morning to pray. Let's pray. Lord God of heaven and earth, we thank you so much for your forgiveness. And abortion is not the unforgivable sin, not even late-term abortion, which is unimaginable to those of us who have never had to walk in a season of life like that. But God, truly, our sin does not define us. Our Savior defines us. And there are those here who have struggled through divorce or abortion or addiction. And the challenge is for those individuals not to let their sin define them, but to let the Savior define them. And any who are facing seemingly impossible moments like that in life, God, I pray that they would trust in you with their full heart, that they would follow you down the steepest mountainside and respond to your voice as you lead them by your spirit no doubt you're challenging some this morning i ask any and all whom you've challenged that they find strength in you and come forward and allow us to pray over them during this season we love you lord and we thank you it's in the name of jesus we pray amen please stand with me